You're listening to the Acts, How the Gospel Changes the World series, preached by Pastor Dan Christians at Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. This evening we have a chance to turn the page on a new chapter in the life of the Apostle Paul. We're going to be in Acts chapter 27 in just a moment. We've seen him already be gloriously converted to go from the man who was persecuting Christians to the man who is now traveling the world trying to show people Christ. We've seen him as this fearless missionary and church planner. We've seen him persecuted and imprisoned for his faith, being on the receiving end now of the persecution. And we've seen him bravely and confidently defend his faith over and over again, trial after trial. We will now, for the first time, see Paul on his journey to Rome. And it's a great journey. Um, I think there are a lot of lessons for us to learn in this journey. But if you've seen the bulletin this morning, you know that the title of the sermon is, We Are All Gonna Crash. And (laughs) the truth is, I didn't put together the fact that 12 hours from now, (laughs) a group of us will be boarding an airplane to go to Guatemala, and maybe we're all going to crash is not the most appropriate title for the sermon tonight. <laughs> I do want to tell you this, I- I've never considered myself a prophet, and um, if we do crash, then everybody will think that I'm just this most incredible prophet who just knew it was going to happen, and they'll celebrate me, and probably you would have wished you stayed awake more often. <laughs> but, <laughs> But hey, to the best of my knowledge... Don't worry, I'm not one of those Old Testament prophets. I haven't received a vision from God. The title is completely accidental. And so I don't think we're going to crash on the way to Guatemala, but out of my hands. Oh, man. Okay. Well, spoiler alert for the story, um, the boat's going to sink. And so I think that, that on this boat ride, there's a lot of lessons for us. There are a lot of parallels to our lives that we can find here. And so let's pray, and we'll get into the text tonight. Father, we do love you, Lord. We thank you that that you are the Lord of all storms. Lord, that you are God, no matter what the circumstance is. And God, I pray that you'd help us to just glory in that truth tonight, Lord. I pray that you'd help um, the words of this story remind us of what we already know, that you're sovereign, that you're in control. Lord, I pray that we would live lives that reflect that, uh, that like the Apostle Paul, we would trust you in the storm. Lord, that we would be willing to follow you wherever you call us. God, I pray you give me the words tonight to say, Lord, I know I need you. I know this message is nothing without your Holy Spirit working. And so give me um, your words, Lord. I pray that your Spirit would work in our hearts. Uh, We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The text in front of us is a long and detailed narrative of Paul's journey to Rome. In fact, it's so detailed that many historians have used this account to explain how seamanship work back in the in the first century. They've looked to all of what Luke wrote to learn about what it meant to be a captain on a ship during those days. It, it's a, there's a lot of detail in there for us. But the truth is, in a, in a sermon like this, I think there's an inherent danger. And I want to point it out before I get on with the sermon, because I want you to understand that there are obstacles in us trying to interpret Scripture, and there are things that we need to be aware of. This is There is an inherent danger in preaching. And what I mean by that is you can approach a historical narrative in a number of different ways. One of the ways is you can look at it as though it's an allegory 
and that everything that's said has some kind of spiritual principle behind it. And so, yes, we're hearing a historical story, but there's so much meaning in each of these words and each of these things. And there's a problem if we read the text like that. Uh, I read a commentary this week, and I think in verse 38 or so, it speaks about there's four anchors mentioned. And so then the commentator decided what those four anchors meant, and it was four anchors for the Christian life, and it was like reading your Bible and prayer and fellowship. Uh, and then, there's a fourth, I don't remember what it was. And then there was four anchors for the unbeliever, and that they had to understand that they were sinners, and that they were in need of repentance, and that they could trust in Christ. And, that, and so he created this whole sermon outline out of the mention of four anchors here as though those four anchors had some kind of important spiritual meaning and and can i tell you honestly that's a joke okay what what he's done is he's used his imagination as his authority to create a message that's nowhere found in scripture there i mean it's not in the story hey now if you want to teach about those four anchors then find a place in the bible that teaches about those four anchors And so there is a danger, and I want to point that out because the truth is, as I was preparing this message, I had to constantly check myself. Is is that really there? Am I seeing something that's not there? Am I trying to to mold the text into what I want it to say? And and so hopefully we won't do that tonight. Um, What we have tonight in front of us is a historical account, and in this historical account there are some examples for us. There are lessons for us to learn about God's sovereignty, and hopefully there are truths that can be exemplified, that are exemplified here in Paul's life, that can be exemplified in our lives as well. And so we have the map up here on the board, and I hope that will guide us through the first 12 verses here of our text. Acts chapter 27, starting at verse 1. And when it was determined that we should sail into Italy, they delivered Paul and certain other prisoners unto one named Julius, a centurion of Augustus' band. And so they get in the boat, finally, after a few years of being in prison, after trial after trial after trial, after Paul being put before men who were supposed to be judges, were supposed to reflect the law, and instead just kept Paul in prison, even though they knew he was not guilty because they wanted to appease the Jews. After all of these years of this, finally, Paul is on his way to Rome to see Nero. And so they, they board this boat, and they have with them or the person that is in charge of Paul is a man named Julius, and he's a centurion in Augustus's band. Now you might be wondering, oh, I didn't know they had bands in the Bible. Um, is that like the Dave Matthews band? No, it's not. It's not the same thing. This, this band was a group of soldiers, and a centurion was a man who was in charge of a hundred soldiers. And so the fact that it was Augustus' band is significant because it meant that it was a band that was a group of soldiers that were specifically chosen by the emperor to serve the emperor. Okay, so this, this was a big deal. These were important men. They were good soldiers. And they were tasked with the duty of transporting prisoners and oftentimes grain and food as well to Rome. Verse 2. And entering into the ship of Adramedium, we launched, meaning to sail by the coast of Asia, one Aristarchus, a Macedonian Thessalonica, being with us. And so they get into the ship. And I have this little handy pointer here, that they get in the ship here, this is Caesarea, um, Adramedium is close to Caesarea, be one of the ports there, and so then they go and they, they, they board the ship, they're on their way to Asia, but they end up making a stop in Sidon. So verse 3, the next day we touched at Sidon, and Julius courteously entreated Paul, and gave him liberty to go 
unto his friends to refresh himself. And this is kind of unusual. You would not expect a centurion who's charged with a prisoner, the care of a prisoner, to allow that prisoner to leave the ship unless it's absolutely necessary. And so the fact that Paul was allowed to get off on Sidon and go visit some of the believers there is really interesting. It meant that either Paul had formed a relationship already with Julius, or when Agrippa and Festus put him on the boat, they said, hey, listen, this guy, we need to be really nice to him because we don't actually have any charges to go with him. He hasn't done anything wrong. He's actually innocent. And so be really nice to Paul. Okay, take good care of him. And so he's allowed to get off there and go visit his friends, believers there. And I think, again, that's just a case of, of God... Providence, allowing Paul to, to be able to have this small break in fellowship with other believers before he travels the rest of the journey. Verse number four. And when we launched from thence, we sailed under Cyprus because the winds were contrary. And so generally they would travel a route that looked like this on the south side of Cyprus. But because the winds were contrary, they had to go around Cyprus and try and use Cyprus as like kind of blocking the wind so that they could travel to Asia, where they planned to go. Verse 5. And when they sailed over the sea of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra, a city of Lycia. That's not real interesting, except that I found something interesting out about Myra, and that is that um, Santa Claus was born in Myra. <laughs> I don't know if you knew that, but St. Nicholas lived in the 3rd and early 4th century, and he was a Christian martyr in Myra, and St. Nicholas was from there, so that's an interesting tidbit of information that has nothing to do with what we're talking about tonight. Verse 6, And there the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing unto Italy, and he put us therein. Now, this, this ship was from Alexandria, it was from Egypt, and what often happened was they, they grew a lot of grain in Egypt. And there was over a million people living in Rome, and so the only way to keep people in Rome fed was to have the crops grown in Egypt shipped all the way around, all the way to Rome. A very long journey to, to carry grain, but there was a number of ships that did this. And so um, there was a couple different ki- kinds of ships going on here in this text. The first ship, the one that traveled like this, would have been more like a, a coastal ship or a port ship. It would have stayed very close to the coast the whole time, as much as possible. The ship that would have been carrying grain that they were trying to find here was a ship that's supposed to be able to travel in open water. It would be a lot more sturdy, a lot bigger of a ship. And so it's, when he gets on this ship is when he's on a ship with 276 other people. Verse number 7. And when he had sailed slowly many days and scarce were come over against Sinaitis, the wind not suffering us, we sailed under Crete against Salmone. Now, Again, it seems like they were planning to go from here and do a kind of a straight shot to Rome. There doesn't need to be any more passing. They would have normally traveled on this side of Crete. But once again, the winds are bad. And this is happening over again. It's almost a foreshadow of what's to come. So the winds are bad, so they they kind of slow down here around Sinaitis. Maybe they stop quickly, but they, they try and, instead of going straight through, they again try and use Crete to block the wind. And so they, they are going on this side of Crete past Salmone. Verse 8, and hardly passing it, that's hardly passing Salmoni, we came into a place which is called the Fair Havens. Nine and two was the city of Lacia. Now when much time was spent, and when sailing was now dangerous, because the fast was 
now already past, Paul admonished them and said unto them, Sirs, I perceive that this voyage will be with hurt and much damage, not only of the lading in the ship, but also of our lives. Okay, Paul says to them, we're all going to crash. If, if we travel, if we leave, we're going to crash. Now, this is interesting the way that Paul comes to this decision. Because at first, I wanted to believe that it was God that told Paul they were going to crash. It kind of makes sense, right? Because ultimately we know they do crash and, and Paul just perceives this. Where did he perceive it from? But the truth is, Paul had been in a number of shipwrecks before this. We find that in 2 Corinthians, that, that Paul had been in multiple shipwrecks. So he knew something about sea voyage. And there it mentions that the fast is already passed. The fast that he's speaking about is the Day of Atonement, or Yom, Yom Kippur, which usually occurred at the end of September. And the time that they were supposed to sail was usually around mid-September. Sorry, they would start in March. Sailing would start usually in March and would go all the way to mid-September. And so come mid-September people knew that it was no longer safe to take this voyage. Okay? Really bad idea. And so you should stay put wherever you're at until March comes, until it's safe to sail again. And so Paul says, I, I think his perception is just, hey, I, I've been there before, I've been in a shipwreck before, I know that the feast has passed, and so I think, personally, that it's not a good idea for us to continue on this voyage. But, verse 11, there's a different opinion. It says, nevertheless, the centurion believed the master and the owner of the ship more than those things which were spoken by Paul. Now that kind of makes sense, right? You have a guy who owns the ship and he's a captain of the ship. It makes sense to believe that guy over Paul, because what's Paul? He's, at this point, as far as Julius knows, he's a prisoner who might be innocent, but he's just a prisoner. He's on his way to Rome to be tried. He is not the captain of the ship. He is not the owner of the ship. He hasn't been doing this his entire life. And so the centurion decides to go with the captain's word rather than Paul's. Verse 12, we've got to get a reason for this. It says, because the haven, and they're at fair havens at this point, was not commodious to winter in, the more part advised to depart thence also, if by any means they might attain to Fennus and there to winter, which is a haven of Crete and lieth toward the southwest and northwest. And so what they're trying to say is, we don't want to stay here in fair havens, it's not a very nice port. The city's not that nice. And the truth is, there's not as much of a blockage of the wind there. And so if we have to stay somewhere for the winter, let's find a nice place to stay. Let's travel 40 miles to the west, stay in Phoenix. Okay? That, that's his plan. That's, that's, what they, that's what they want to do. Now, we're going to stop reading our story at this point because I think that there are some applications here. And, and the truth is, we're heading out for Guatemala soon and what I wanted to do, I'll tell you what I wanted to do with the sermon. Okay? This is the application I wanted. We have God's wisdom versus man's wisdom. And there we had Paul, the man of God, and then you had the captain who was supposed to be an expert. He was supposed to know his stuff, but he was not a man of God. And so here you had God's wisdom versus man's wisdom. And who should we always follow? Well, it's always God's wisdom. It's always God's man, right? But I don't think that's what the text is teaching. And so there are a couple of application points that I think the text does teach that we can learn some things from for our lives. The first one is this. Number one, circumstances are usually out of our control. Circumstances are usually out of our control. See, Paul doesn't claim to have some kind of message from God here. Paul is now a prisoner who is on a ship 
And the entire trip so far has been filled with bad winds, with storms, with trouble. There's nothing good happening so far. So Paul is a prisoner, and when he even speaks up to say, hey, this is my opinion, this is what I think we should do, the captain says, ah, no, that's not a good idea. And the centurion says, yeah, no, I agree with the captain. We're not doing what Paul wants to do. We're going to do what, what he wants to do. And so Paul is completely not in control of his circumstances. Okay, now, this probably bothers most of us to hear. We're not in control of our circumstances. I know it bothers me. I like to be in control. I like to think I have control. I think I should have more control than I do, most of the time. <laughs> and the truth is, we don't have control, and even sometimes the, the control that we think we have, it's just a, a figment of our imagination. We are in so little control of our lives. This was true for Paul in this journey, but it is true for us as well. The problem we all run into is this. We have far less control than we think. We want to control our children. Right? I want to. I've, I've seen so many, and this is not my kids, but I've seen so many of other people's kids, you know, teenagers growing up, and I just wish that they would listen. I wish that, that they would allow me to control their lives and to say, listen, that's not the person you should marry. That, the person's a jerk. You know, this is better for you. Do this. You know, I wish you'd just, just listen to me because if I had control, it would all work out well. With the teenagers in our youth group, I don't have that control. Okay? With my own kids, don't have that control. Now, I have an obligation to do everything I can to, to direct them on the right path. I have that responsibility. But I cannot control them. I can't even control my own life. I can't control my own health. I can't. Pastor could fire me tomorrow. <laughs> That'd be really mean if he fired me while I was on a trip to Guatemala. But he could do it, right? And and listen, even if I have some measure of job security, all of it is just. I mean, none of us really have control. Circumstances are usually out of our control. Here we have the great Apostle Paul missionary of the forever, guy that wrote almost half the books of the New Testament, you'd expect that if God was going to give any measure of control to anybody, it'd be a guy like Paul. Paul gets on the ship, and the whole time he's on the ship, the winds are contrary. The ship is in a storm. Nothing is going right, and even the captain won't listen to him. He has no control. He's a prisoner. But the funny thing is, despite the fact that Paul has no control, we see in this chapter and throughout this chapter, Paul's incredible faith. Because for Paul, it's not about him being in control. It's about him knowing the one who is in control. And that's, that is true for us. In your circumstances, you don't have control. They could change tomorrow. Okay, now... This is gonna this is gonna sound terrible because we're actually going this trip. But let's say the plane crashes. There's a lot of us in this room that are affected by that, right? Do we have any control over that? No. Planes have crashed before. Okay, this is an example. This could happen. Let's say tomorrow you get in your car and you drive into a pole. You're not in control like you think you are. We're not. And so if that happens, then we can throw our hands up and we can go. Life is over. Life is terrible. Who knows what's, what's going on? God didn't know what was happening. God wasn't in control of that situation. Or we can put our hands up and say, God, this is terrible. This sucks. I hate this. 
I can't believe that we're going through this, but no matter what the circumstances, I trust you. Okay? Because circumstances, they change all the time. But God doesn't change. He's in control. So God could trust that he was in control, that, that the God who sent the storm would get him through the storm if that's what God wanted. So number one, circumstances are usually out of control. Number two, we were not designed to go through storms alone. Look again at verse 2. Chapter 27, verse 2. This is a really, really interesting thing that's, that's here. And it's just inserted really quickly here by Luke. It says, And entering into the ship of Adramedium, we launched, meaning to sail by the coast of Asia, one Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, being with us. Now that verse there doesn't seem to be significant to us, but there are three words I think are important. The first one is, he says, we launched. We. What does that mean? It means Luke is there. Well, what is Paul doing? Paul is on a ship to Rome as a prisoner. So what in the world is Luke doing with them? It doesn't make any sense. But Luke is there. It also says that they took another man named Aristarchus. Now, if you didn't know the rest of the, the book of Acts, then that wouldn't mean anything to you. But we find that Aristarchus is one of Paul's traveling companions in Acts chapter 19 and in Acts chapter 20. And so he's a man from Thessalonica. He's been with Paul since he's been in Thessalonica, traveling with him on his missionary journey. And so these two men, for some reason, decide to go with Paul in the ship. Now, there's only two ways this could happen. One way is that they voluntarily make themselves a prisoner. The second way is that they make themselves Paul's slave and then get permission to allow Paul to bring two slaves with him. That's the only way it could happen. And so... We were not designed to go through storms alone, and I, I truly believe that God had these two men go with Paul because Paul would need that support. Paul was never, it was rarely if ever alone. Do you notice that when you read the book of Acts? That though so many times he's the star, so many times we see him give the speech or, or perform the miracle, there is always godly men and women surrounding him. And when he writes his letters, his epistles, he's all, constantly saying hi to them and thanking him them and, and pointing out the fact that he is not doing this alone. Why? Because God didn't design us to do it, lo- it alone. Do you know what God's design is for his people to learn and to grow and to get through the storms of life? It's the body of Christ. It's the church. We need each other. And so when we go through storms, we need people to be there with us to remind us of good truths, to remind us of who we're following, to remind us of what this is all about. Hey, we are so fragile, aren't we? I mean, you think about how fragile our minds are. You think about how easily we get stressed out. You think about how easily we get to that point of just having a breakdown. God knows that. He's not unaware of your situation, of your condition. And so he's given you the body of Christ. And he gave Paul, Luke, and Aristarchus to help him along this journey. We're not designed to go through storms alone. We need one another. It's not just, hey, I'm just going to go out and make it alone. I'm just going to follow God and do it. That's not his design. His design was each other. The church is not a social club. It's not an elitist community. Its goal is not just to do good things in this world. The church was designed by God so that we would help one another become more and more like Christ. 
And we learn in James chapter 1 last week in the Wednesday night Bible study that God puts us through trials because trials help us grow in patience. And God has the body of Christ so that we will continue to grow that way. Tonight, I hope we can see the story for what it is. It's a historical account. But it's also an example of a man who trusted God despite the storms he was in. That he had faith. And we have an example here of two men who loved God and loved Paul so much that they're willing to give up their lives and sacrifice to go with him to help the work of God go forward, to help the man of God. It is an example for us. You know, stories like this, they're, they're fun reads, aren't they? I mean, I, I don't know if you can be bored in Acts chapter 27. Historians like it. Storytellers like it. It is an awesome story of, of a ship that's going through all these terrible seas and eventually gets shipwrecked, but everybody's saved. It's a wonderful, wonderful story. My question is, though, will it benefit us at all today? Or do we, we read stories like this in the Word of God and then just walk away and not realize that those things are there as an example for us? That we should learn to trust God through our storms that we should learn to stick together and to do this thing together and to help one another get through the storms. That's what I believe the story is here for. And so tonight, just take the time, take a moment, and, and think about your life right now. What storm are you in? What are you going through? How can you demonstrate faith in God, and how can you reach out to other believers to help you? Or how can you be a help to other believers that are going through storms? Let's pray.